Hello, you are listening to the 31st episode of CTOcast. Today is Friday, February 28, 2020. You can listen to all the episodes if you subscribe at CTOcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. I'm your host, uh, Sasha Stapinka, together with my co-host, uh, Nick Frolov. Hey, Nick. Hi, guys. And we here at the Port of Rotterdam. And today we have with us Jared Croucher, the co-founder of Autonomous Shipping Startup, Captain AI. So, Jared, how does one get to Autonomous Shipping? I, I think, well, the subject in itself, autonomy, I think it resonates a lot with how we do things. I think it might also be some, somewhat philosophical because when you get to one point to another, like, how do you do that, you know? So it kind of might reveal something about ourselves that that might appeal to people. How does how do these complex systems work? I think there's a technical appeal to it. But in this case, the way the, the company started, which I think is what you're asking, is it, it was mainly an idea from the other co-founder, uh, Vincent, which was he, he wanted to have a, a water taxi that sailed to the RDM autonomously. And he thought it would be a really uh, cool kind of demonstration that they could do along with all the innovation that goes along here in the RDM to be able to invite people around an autonomous ship. And essentially that that's how uh, Captain A got started. I was living in the UAE just before I, I joined the team here and I was trying to start my own company at the time, Safer Trident which was also doing uh, robotics but underwater. I was living in the UAE and to live in the UAE you need to have a visa and had quit my job there and I had a runway, a little bit of investment and I saw that that it wasn't enough so I had to find uh, an escape plan or, or had to find another way to, to approach this problem. So I, I'm actually Dutch and, and most of my life I haven't lived in Holland at all so I had to return home and, and home was a country I hadn't, it was that was pretty foreign to me. So. So I think it was really good. I, I looked around and uh, Googled for innovation places, found RDM, emailed, hey, I, I've been involved with TechShop, the different uh, makerspaces. I've helped build these different robots. And, and can you offer me a job? I've been kind of involved with a lot of these projects. With that, I came here and then it's like, hey, actually, I have this idea about doing this township. Do you want to do this pilot project? Do you want to do a feasibility study to see if you can put together uh, some, some prototype and, and kind of get an idea of how hard this actually is going to be? So at the same time, the other co-founder who shares my name, Gerard, also. It's funny. We, it's, it's like, how many Gerards are there in the world? Like, my whole life, it's not been something too common. And then to come here and to find immediately another person with my name and starting a company. But either way, we did this pilot project. We showed, okay, well, we kind of figure out, like, the details and, and a way to get started. And uh, about three or four months later, we we pitched it to some companies. And, and we got investment from B-Step, which is they do simulators. And then we got investment from Post & Co., which they, they do insurances for ships. Yeah, and can you give a little bit more perspective? What is autonomous vessels? How does it work for those who are not uh, in the know? Um, autonomous vessels. So so essentially, it's it's getting from one point to another without hitting things. I guess that's autonomy. You know how like you have assembly lines and you have parts that move from one point to another. It's it's essentially the same thing. Only we we 
consider a dynamic environment and, and we have to use more sophisticated algorithms to deal with a lot of uncertainties that, that come in. But essentially that's all it is, is you're getting a vehicle from one point to another. And if we talk from a technical perspective, like uh, people usually more familiar with uh, autonomous cars, yeah. right? For, with autonomous boats, vessels, ships, it's not, and they're not f- so familiar. If you can give a little bit more perspective from technical side, what is the difference? How does it work? The water is very dynamic. It's a, it's, your your state is always dynamic. With a car, it's it's always stationary. Your default is stationary. Uh, and with with the air, it's also dynamic. So like you, you you can't just stop and then you know it, it'll just fall down. With us, we can stop, but we'll drift away. That we need to consider more kind of physics and and these different parameters. But on the upside, it's also nicer because we have a lot more room. So they really design ports and and, and waterways to have high tolerance, so you can really move around a lot because. Because of this current, this the uh, the fact that the control of ships is is generally for humans, even not super precise. Cars are somewhat easier. Well, I mean the implementations are different. I I really get into the details. I follow a lot of this stuff, but a lot of the solutions that you see do lane keeping, and they they look at finding the center of a path. When you do that to get uh, to another side, okay, well, you know, we designed these paths really nicely. They have perfect markers you can see with cameras. You can calculate the center of this line. Uh, and you just need to drive in the middle, which is just like a, an actuation problem, which has been pretty much solved. With ships, it's different. You you can't just sail in the middle of a track, and the track is not clearly defined. You have banks, uh, you have currents, you, you know. So you need to approach it a little bit more dynamic. You create, you know, paths that are way more. You can't just c- calculate the center of a, a path and then that's your solution. You, you really need to figure out, okay, well, if I'm going to move this way, what kind of path does that generate with the, with the motion that my vessel can actually produce and things like that. So that, that, that adds another level of kind of complexity, but it's also easier because you, you have more tolerances. The vessels don't travel as quick. And the sensor suite generally on most vessels are pretty complete. So the other really cool thing about autonomous uh, shipping is that we, all ships, most ships already broadcast their position. So so when you see uh, Tesla or Waymo, yeah, we have, uh, you know, we have a fleet of a thousand. We have a fleet of this big. We are collecting data for so long. We have outcompeted all of them in, in terms of data collection and position because the maritime industry has been building the solution for a long time where everyone's broadcasting their position. I can tell you the position of most vessels in the port over years. So we have like historical data that these car industries could only dream of, you know, and, and, and we're approaching the problem from this kind of more holistic like uh, way where I think you'll see the car industry kind of approach it once they have access to this kind of data. Yeah, and if we, since we touched already technical aspect of that, yeah. can you tell a little bit more on the sensors, how they differ from, uh, again, what is, what's in, in the cars? So sensors are quite old. Like right now, you see cars, so they're looking at, okay, well, should we use LiDAR, should we use radar, you know, what are the benefits of camera and, and radar versus uh, using uh, LiDAR also. For us, I think the, the the suite is quite complete for most ships. Most ships have radar, and radar is actually really cool. Radar 
essentially tells you the distance. It gives you like a, a top view map of your environment. And you can measure the distance to any object quite well, and it works through any conditions. Like, like you can tune it to work through pretty snowy conditions, rainy conditions, you know. So it's really good for that. There's some issues, but, but similarly, just like machine vision problems are being solved by what is today getting more popular, deep learning. Radar is also has the same optimization kind of uh, framework where you can use the same framework of, of deep learning and, and train uh, neural networks to, to do detection on, on radar images. So that's also going to improve quite a bit. So radar is really cool, and that comes by default. And then AIS. So AIS is the broadcasting of my position. So imagine all cars were broadcasting your position. If you open Google Maps, you'd have a perfect view of where all the cars are and how in they're oriented time. in real time. They're hoping to achieve in the future with all the 5G. Yeah. Yeah. With cars, yeah, hopefully. But it's the, the maritime does it all, all over radio. So they've had to develop uh, these methods, which makes it a little bit slower, less precise. And it's also very dependent on human input. So even though it's required that they insert information into the AIS, at the end of the day, the captain, when he onboards, he has to press the button on go on the way using engine. And if he doesn't press that button, he forgets, which is very human to do. Then that doesn't get reflected in the system. And then that becomes a object avoidance kind of tricky situation because we, we see it all the time. We see ships passing us without AIS. And that, that's very scary. If, if you don't see a ship and you can't account for it, you can't uh, avoid it. So in such cases, you rely more on the radar, right, for collision avoidance? Uh, we l- rely on radar and cameras. And so, cameras. Yeah. So, so radars, uh, there's different types of radars that are getting popular. Um, and so a lot of them are kind of like single sweeping. So you have... Uh, a single kind of a bar that sends out a radio beam and then it spins and it takes about four seconds, two to four seconds, depending on the radar, to, to do a spin and to return an image. Uh, you have the solid state radars, which are yeah, really four seconds delay between the actual data and what you get. Yeah, it can be up to four seconds. So, especially if you're doing some other stuff like you're trying to fuse it with AIS and computations involved. And, it can get pretty lengthy, and that's it's it's really good information because it tells you where things are. It tells you whether a ship, the shape of a ship, like how big it is, which way it's facing, but it's four seconds, so that's really bad. And the decisions we've seen that needs to be made under second, one second. Really, when you're rotating, you want to adjust the angles, and that that has to be in the hertz. That has to be like we're we're, we're working at around ten hertz right now. So the idea is okay. Well, radar does four-second interval resolution, AIS has, like, so many microseconds. And not uh, very reliable because it's human part. Exactly, not very reliable. And then, so... Camera. Then we use cameras because cameras work at at around the same uh, rate as our inference, which is about 10 10 hertz. Well, I mean, cameras are faster, but to process it and to do it with eight cameras and all of that, we find that 10 hertz is okay. And but eventually be faster, but for, for our purposes, it, it works. So what you really want to do is you want to find a model that's, that considers your sensors and somehow you're really using statistics here because what you want to do is you want to update, you want to update the probability uh, and the certainty that you see an object where it is. So the analogy is like uh, with humans, it's like, okay, well, if it sounds like a dog, it smells like a dog, it looks like a dog, it's probably a dog, right? So it's kind of the same with radar. So if it uh, 
if the radar beams echo like a boat and and the camera's pixels line up with the boat and, and the AIS decodes like a boat, <laughs> then it's probably a boat. What we do when we're interacting with these things is like we don't rely on our eyes alone. We, we can kind of put together different sensors to make an idea of what the world is. Uh, and that's exactly what we do with the sensor suites. And where it's happening, the computation, when you're gathering this information from recent, distant, uh, different sensors, yeah. right? Uh, where, it, where it happens, the computation itself. So it happens on board. So on board. yeah, the idea of doing this remotely is, is, I think it's not practical. I think there's a lot of practical benefits to doing it in the boat. You, wanna, you want the sensor to be processed as fast as possible. You don't want to do like, eight, like requests online or, or, or log it and then have a computer remotely test it and send it back because then you're relying on a network, right? So you need to have some level of autonomy um, it's to, to be able to calculate the things by itself so that it can work regardless of other information. So um, you, you do not rely on connectivity actually, right? And is it even possible to have this connectivity in the open sea, like in the ocean? We the, well, we work with internet a lot. We we do. The way I think of it is, it's like you got to do the best with what you have. I think that's generally the case with everything. So if you have access to internet, we do we do look up like dimensions of ships because AIS sends dimensions of ships, but we have a database of of all of the ships and all their dimensions. And what that lets us do is AIS only sends this every in that lower frequency but we always want to have that information uh, immediately so we can we can call up that data immediately and we can find information about that ship and that's really useful to have but let's say you lose connection you want to be able to warn the captain hey we don't have this information anymore and then and then the captain can can make uh, use of this so yeah there is a captain in, in this scenario and then also If you lose, and the same goes with any sensors, if you lose AIS, you want to still be able to steer with the rest of your sensor suite uh, in, an, let's say, an emergency mode until you can find a contingency plan. But I think generally the rule is like, okay, we compute on, on the ship because that's where all, all our sensor is. That's where the rudder control would be the fastest. Imagine we have uh, 20 or 30, you know, hundreds of ships running our software. The information we get from all the ships running our software is way more precise. AIS gives you information, at, I can't remember, at the, I think uh, once every second or every few seconds. The information we get from our vessels are at 10 hertz, and they already have sensor fusion. So if you can, if you can benefit and you can take that information from all the ships, then you can build a really nice picture of the environment. Uh, giving you more certainty about what's going on. And that's really the goal. The goal is to have certainty about where things are and, and the way you should move. You augment the radar data with computer vision, right, with the camera view. And computer vision have its own flaws. Yeah. There also you have issues with the weather, right? Yeah. Sometimes the visibility is uh, poor. Yeah. Do you believe that uh, something like a LiDAR technology will be more prevailing over time? What What's your kind of kind of best scenario. LiDAR is really nice because when you use LiDAR, it instantaneously gives you like ideal information of the distance to all of the objects. But it's also without context, right? So, you, you know, cameras essentially has the same information. It's only a function of compute. But you also have textures and colors and, and, and that also gives you idea about the semantics of, or like about what you're looking at. So to create the, the data sets we need for cameras, 
uh, one really good way of doing it is just with LiDARs. So you, you mount a LiDAR and then you can create a kind of training set that says, hey, this is the output I want, the distance, and the camera can learn how to get that information that LiDAR gets out of it. But LiDAR per se is very flawed. Like the range, the range is, is to get a decent range, that gets pretty expensive. You know, it gets Velodyne LiDARs, VLTs, 32. I mean, those are pretty expensive. And they don't work when it's rainy. They also have spinning parts. So, like, if you're in a boat and you have a lot of, uh, act, you know, a lot of impacts on your ship, uh, those spinning parts are not going to last too long, right? Mm. Uh, so then the other option would be something like solid-state LiDAR. But I think we can go pretty far with radar, cameras, and, and AI. I mean, there is also cost of technology, right? Lighter yeah. steel is pretty, pretty expensive. Yeah, but I mean, you can also argue a lot of the other equipment we use is pretty expensive. I think getting the heading was surprisingly expensive. In cars, I think it's not as big of an issue because you assume you're facing mostly forward between two lanes and you can use lower quality heading information. Currently, we're using fiber optic gyroscopes, the same ones that they use in aircrafts. It gives you very precise heading information, but those things go to 10,000 euros, 20,000 euros easy. That's, that's not scalable. So we're looking at the the other solutions like MEMPS. So MEMPS is like kind of like the chips you have on your phone, like the compass, and it tells you which way you're facing. So if we can use that in a smart way, com- combination with GPS, then, then that's uh, also really, really good. So we're still experimenting with uh, the sensor combinations. And lucky for us, there's a lot of diversity in the maritime industry. I mean, every vessel we go on board has a, a different combination of sensors. We've built support for radar, we've built support for camera, we've built support for AIS and a lot of the other sensors that we have on the boat, like wind and things like that. So for us, it's about getting enough confidence in your environment to be able to sail. It's not really like how you get that confidence is, is a different problem. And because we're so young still, we, we can still explore uh, a lot of different things. I'm really excited. Uh, so we're talking to some partners that are uh, a surveying group that, that specialize on surveying underwater. Mm-hmm. And that for autonomous um, navigation is quite important. I mean, you really need to know what your bottom bathymetry looks like, the, the, the topology of the water underneath you, of the land underneath you, because that affects how the water behaves and, and how you can go. So we started looking at, okay, well, how does it look like to, to do sonar? How can we ingest that information and things like that? But it turns out that these guys that do surveys need to have very precise information about the orientation of the vessel. If you have a ship and you're trying to do sonar and you're trying to create a map of underwater, if your ship is tilting sideways, that's going to mess up your calculation. So you need to offset the tilt of the ship and you be, need to also offset the panning, and you need to get very accurate position information. So right now they have this infrastructure of using something called uh, RTK, which is centimeter accurate GPS, and they use that in combination with uh, different IMUs. So very expensive equipment, but the result of this very expensive equipment is very nice localization. So very nice, perfect heading and orientation. And this would be very interesting because that's essentially the ideal. Uh, solution for localization. Um, yeah, yeah. So you combine the data from the, the, the bottom, right? Um, yeah. And you combine the data with also the, the more uh, detailed um, GPS. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually like where the conversation is heading because the 
the complexity is becoming a little bit more real. So we have a first problem of sensors, right? The sensory data to to know what we see and where we're heading. We have a second problem of location. What what else, right? What else is in your model? The weather, the current. Uh, can you can you kind of uh, dwell a little bit on on this? And I believe that uh, this is also your educational background. Water is a mass and it has a lot of force that moves your ship. You need to deal with that. You need to know where to go. Uh, you need to know the tide because you can literally not, like your options of paths reduce based on your tides because you just suddenly are shallower and the side of the, the, your ship doesn't fit anymore. It just doesn't physically fit. There's a lot of interesting water effects that happen when you get too close to the sides of the canal. You get this kind of like vortices that form and, and suck your boat in. So the, the, this is really, really important. So so being able to deal with all of these forces are definitely in there. But but the way we're approaching this is, okay, well, there's a lot of these problems we need to solve. Which ones will get us farther? And what sequence should we actually look at these? Because we only have so much resources. And currently, we're focusing on depth. And then I think later... But you're asking about like the sensors. So like we have a sensor suite that, that we need to solve. We also have Pathline that we need to solve. Uh, and then I think another huge one for autonomy is really uh, prediction. Uh, that's I think those three things like uh, Pathline. Or so, so it's like uh, knowing your environment, using statistics, then you use prediction, and then you create your plan. Uh, and, and I think prediction is a huge one. It's one that's also getting better with uh, deep learning solutions. And the reason it's interesting is because it helps you create paths. It, you have to think of it like you anticipate what's going on, and therefore you can make a, a, a plan that considers what will happen. And, and that's the way that we're approaching that problem currently. So a little bit like chess, like, uh, you know, your, your moves are dependent on your opponent's moves. So if you have a boat that, that comes on the left, you need to predict its motion to be able to say, okay, well, that's where I'm going to be. And the better you can do that and the better you can path plan, the longer trajectories you can do, the more optimal solutions you can have and the better your product will be. How it actually works from captain perspective currently, right? To what extent it's already autonomous? Captains don't have radar and captains don't have all of these sensors. So sometimes uh, it's it's kind of, it kind of gives you confidence that like you can do a lot of things intuitively. Uh, when you're sailing a ship, it's it's not a very proactive situation. It's not like cars where you're always like moving and adjusting the wheel. Uh, and the reason for that is because like you can set a heading and, you know, like even if you drift off a bit, you're more or less in the right place. So really... It's more of a hassle to constantly adjust this perfectly, even though it could have better control benefits. I think ships are, for the most part, the captains are, are pretty casual, and they also sail very much like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. And the huge part of, of sailing today, especially in ports, is communication, so radio. How do you deal with... A lot of the shippers try to cut corners because these are giant ships, you know. So what happens is that when you're coming with this big ship, you don't want to go all the way around to make that right turn. You actually cross over the opposite lane and you cut into their lane and then you, you make that right turn. And a lot of that is done through coordination through radio. So you say, hey, I'm going to cut that corner. And you, you can see that no ships are around through AIS and radar. And then uh, the harbor master will, will, will give you permission to do so and make sure that, that, that that's okay. And, that, and that's pretty much standard operating procedure. 
Right. And how in this loop uh, there's Captain AI, right? So uh, you you described how manually captains currently navigate in the port, right? Yeah. How in this loop uh, operates uh, Captain AI, how it helps captains? A lot of it is uh, steering. So a lot of the times, you know, you don't see a captain actively steer. I mean, they a lot of the times they can just put the heading at a certain position, talk story with their friends and, and pour some coffee. So you don't need to be having eyes on the front i mean they probably should but effectively like you can get away with a lot of not looking around and steering i think that's kind of one of the ends we have is that we can kind of continuously steer we say hey this is the the real-time path planner so one of the products that we have that i don't think many people are familiar with in the maritime autonomy business is uh, this idea of of creating paths uh, 10 times a second so we we constantly calculate the most optimal path Others approach it more like these are the waypoints you have to hit, and if there's an object, then you go around that object and then you go back to your waypoints. We, we've approached it completely different. We just constantly calculate really uh, optimal solutions. So what we can do is we can offer them, hey, this is the path. You're liable. You can see what the computer is deciding to do, and you just keep an eye. And then we can take care of, of actuating that, that rudder and the throttle to be ideal. So saving fuel and things like that. The other the other benefits that we're offering right now is we can anticipate things. So when a captain starts sailing, if he just waited a few more minutes, then he would have not had to uh, use his engine while waiting for a ship to cross in front of them. So because we have this very clear picture of how all of the ships are behaving, we can tell you, okay, well, you know, if you leave now or you leave five minutes from now, you're going to make your time the same and you'll be traveling at an ideal velocity. You won't have to slow down for oncoming traffic, and you won't have to avoid as many ships. So logistically, we can also offer those benefits to the captain. So it alleviates them their kind of like attention and it to, to being able to focus more on, on what's going around the ship and also to be able to make better choices on how to navigate to deal with uh, traffic and, and things like that. So it's uh, safety when uh, they are constantly tracking the navigation, what captain usually doesn't do, right? And second one, it's uh, cost optimization and efficiency of the navigation within the port, let's say, right? So what's in general the, the perception today, right? Uh, yeah. Are they scared? Do they trust? Do they not trust? <laughs> when, yeah. when do you think it will take off, you know, the, the whole change management process of, of the industry? Uh, yeah, so I think a lot of people are trying to build autonomous ships and sell them, and I think that's completely the wrong way to go. I, I don't think that would work because captains don't want to lose their jobs. You want to, when you create a product, you want to add value, right? You want to do something that, that benefits people. So you have to come from that approach. Be like, okay, what is it that you need that will make your job easier, you know? Okay. Uh, so a lot of it also comes down from like the the top down. Uh, you know, if you own a fleet and and you deploy all your ships, you have to create a schedule, and then you assume that everyone's going to follow that schedule to the T. And it never it never really happens that way. You know, uh, once the schedule gets deployed, the captains uh, on the ships know better. They all they're like I I am a, a captain, and and I've done this for a long time. I know what's best. They miss this coordination between all the other ships. So I think there's this infrastructure kind of approach that you can take where it says, okay, well, how about we make it very easy for the captain to follow your plan? You lay out your schedule and the captain's kind of like the Uber driver kind of approach. You accept this job 
and then they click accept. Uh, and then that immediately gets registered into the system doing real-time uh, scheduling. That's another thing I, I think it would be very interesting is this idea of real-time scheduling. They call it just-in-time. So that with the idea is like, okay, well, you want to optimize by being able to figure out exactly when ships are going to be at a certain place. But for me, real-time is a little bit different. It's uh, you create an algorithm that schedules, and you and you have very good coordination between all the players. Your ship can broadcast its position all the time. I know where all your assets are. And that can go into a scheduler say, okay, well, if your assets needs to be at these different locations at these given times, how do we orchestrate that? And we can do that all the time. If there's an accident, if a ship can't be deployed, your choices become different. Your strategy becomes different. And for a human, that can be overwhelming. I mean, can you imagine constantly being like, okay, calling all of the different ships, trying to say, okay, how, how are you doing? Is your ship working? Trying to keep track of all of these different things. It would drive someone crazy. But if you can, if you just use the sensors and you automate this process, then you can have a, a real-time scheduler and it will be able to be more robust against changes about and against uh, things that you cannot account for, like uh, mishaps or or things like that. I think approaching it uh, from that point of view, okay, well, how, how do we actually get your fleet to move all your assets to where they need to be more efficient? Like the way, the way we see it is a little bit more like a warehouse problem. You have the Amazon warehouse. Um, right now you have lots of people and they need to coordinate with radio. Their bandwidth is they can only talk to one person in a given amount of uh, seconds. So in one minute they can communicate with one person. Robots can communicate with hundreds of different robots within microseconds. So low bandwidth information is, is really easy for, for robots. Is, is it view of, of the port? Because I'm looking at the, into the industry and what you're describing for me sounds like uh, that's probably ports who are interested in that view, like looking into that, like warehouse management in the yeah. port, logistics in the port, right? Is ports currently the major players in that area who, who is interested in that? Or is there somebody, some other player who is also interested in autonomous vessels? Yeah, I think, I think we are uniquely kind of focusing on ports. There's a lot that are between ports, and that's also an interesting problem, but it's a slightly bit different problem. We deal with less connectivity, less infrastructure, less, let's say, ship avoidance. So you have to use solutions like satellite imagery. The problem is very different. We, we are very focused inside ports. Like, okay, after you came from China, you have to wait uh, outside the port. How, how can we coordinate things to really squeeze, squeeze the performance of a port, you know, to really get every inch of performance you can out of an infrastructure? And you can only do that with, with these kind of coordinations with systems instead of people that can't communicate at high bandwidth. And uh, like for me, uh, ports usually sounded like a pretty conservative instance. Today, when we came to your office, basically on the entrance, we see this innovation deck. It looks a little bit strange, right, that ports are so innovative. Do you have any like big advantage being basically in the center of Port of Rotterdam? Yeah. And how do you perceive change management in this industry? I think it's the best place to do this. I think if autonomous shipping is going to happen anywhere in the world, it would happen in Port of Rotterdam first. It was the first biggest port, and now I think they're aiming to be the more most uh, efficient port. We we can leverage a lot of the tools and equipments that, that are out there today to really squeeze out performance. It requires infrastructure, it requires players, you know, you have the car manufacturers, you have the municipalities, and you, you have lots of players, and, and then they... The only way to make it happen is 
by authority which can govern you know that this needs to happen this way otherwise it's too much coordination funny enough we we rarely touch autonomous planes but as you probably know most of the planes lend themselves right uh, autonomously yeah. for a while and that has been uh, part of the legislation it has been part of the requirements which has been set up by the airports that yeah. they need to be equipped by that That's so correct, in, yeah. in in the if we do this comparison and the and ships right yeah so who will be in this governing authority which will demand that everyone needs to have the system in place but with airplanes it's a very interesting analogy and I think it's uh, something that that the shipping industry can look look towards quite a bit they started off just having an autopilot that had capability of landing and takeoff but they said you're not allowed to use landing and takeoff you can only use autopilot for the in-between stuff and over time it slowly grew into more automation and more automation and uh, now there's protocols safety procedures and standards and, and it and works really well and you can see that they kind of had to implement autonomy to reduce issues problems right it makes sense because machines they're really good at repetitive stuff humans are not if, if a system needs to run so many times you want to program that you don't want someone to to do that it's natural to put automation into that and then you'll see the benefits the safety and then after some experience and time you can justify okay this is safe enough let's allow this and i think it'll get to a point where it's like wow humans float this before you know like humans uh, were allowed to do this and my dad's a pilot actually so he tells me a lot of stories. When you're a pilot nowadays, you really need to understand the whole autonomous approach because otherwise you get issues. If you don't understand how an airplane makes its choices, you will not be able to compensate for it. Uh, and he told me that early on with the, the some of the earlier autonomous solutions that they, they were testing, they had this algorithm that would make airplanes fly in circles for waiting to get into an airport. And they couldn't disable it. But the pilots actually had to go into it and, and pull out circuits to be able to disable this this uh, system that was designed to keep them in the air. They were just flying in circles and they just couldn't stop flying in circles on top of the airport. So it's funny to see that these issues have happened and I think there's a lot to learn from it. But I think the benefits in the end of the day outweigh the, the prototyping costs. You need to know how to deploy these safely. We can learn from the aircraft industry on how they approach uh, heavy automations in a very dangerous situation. So having airline industry as an example, what will be your daring future look on the next uh, five, ten years when it comes to autonomous shipping? Uh, uh, what will be the stages which will be happening? The justification is there. It's it's obvious that it, it leads to safety. It's obvious that it leads to better resource management. How you deploy that, I think that's really the trick. I think a lot of it is about testing. You have to have more testing time. We're testing on more vehicles. We're testing more frequently. And then we're logging all that information. Once you get to that point where you're like, okay, well, I have this many vessels traveling with this software doing this thing, it's easy to show the benefits. This is how much fuel you have saved. This is how much time you have saved. You know, this is uh, how much safer it is. You need those metrics to be able to, to get to the next level. Yeah, thank you very much, Gerard. We're approaching the end of our interview. Dear listeners, we love your comments. Please go to ctocast.com or iTunes and leave your feedback. And uh, thank you. Don't forget to subscribe.
Radio Kast.